You're listening to Morning with Megan. Today I sit down with Paul Hungerford, world-renowned actor, improviser, and teacher. Hi, Paul. Hello. Welcome. I'm so happy to have you. Ladies and gentlemen, today we are joined by Paul Hungerford, fellow improviser, fellow man about town, husband, and teacher. <laughs> well, that's such a dramatic ending. Teacher. I know. I don't know why I chose that I one this. to end on of everything, of all the highlights of your life. And there's only four. Teacher. <laughs> um, thank you so much for being here, man. I really appreciate you being here. My God, thank you for the invite. What a wonderful invitation to receive. Thank you. What a pleasure. Absolutely. Absolutely. I really like your sweatshirt. We sort of touched on that, that we're uh, uh, sweatshirts and glasses today is the new Monday um, dress code, I think. I think I think it's the only thing after two years of being locked at home, we just have to accept that we're still in our comfies for a little while. Amen. Um, I don't know if you watched, did you, uh, there's like a bunch of new South Park out and I don't know if you watched the Pajama Day episode, but if you haven't, I highly recommend it. I'm on it. I'm going to favorite it. And it's going to pop up. I haven't, it's funny. I fell off the, the South Park train uh, only because you know, you put animation on when you have kids and they're like, oh, what's this? And you're like, oh, we're not going to watch this right now. You're right. seven. But you do let your daughter, your older daughter watch Big Mouth, which is pretty impressive. Yeah, really? I feel I think like, so. okay, well, thanks. I, I will take that as a win. I, I, I don't know. Fear no art, man. Yeah. You know, I watched things probably way earlier than I should have when I was a kid. It made me, me curious. too. Yeah. And it built character. Yeah. I mean, if you have, she's, it's an open door in our house. We kind of like live it like an open book. Like you've got, we just tell the truth. We're like, yeah, here's how things work. Here's what happens. Here's how it goes. See, that's what I love about you guys. Cause I can't imagine I'm a parent to dogs. So I have no clue what it's like to raise and two girls nonetheless. And I feel like you guys are just nailing it because both your girls are super smart and energetic. They're really they're really healthy as far as like sense of self. They really know who they are and they feel safe and comfortable at home. And I think that that is such a cool thing because you guys really have encouraged them to be who they are and to shine through and just make sure that they're being, you know, they're being listened to, they're being heard at home. And that's such a huge, huge thing that I would imagine is um, also challenging as a parent. It, well, let me, <laughs> let me pay respect where respects are due. My wife is amazing. Uh-huh. Uh, she is uh, just an incredible person, an incredible uh, mother and spouse and partner and all the things that you want. And I'm really lucky to have her. And she is the one who is, you know, for all my insecurities, oh my God, what am I doing? I don't know how to do it. You can't tell them about sex. You know, yeah, she's like, exactly. You know, we're just going to tell them the truth. I'm like, Oh, oh. truth. Okay. Oh. You know, facts, facts are friends. Facts are friends. Just at the same time. I mean, it's not like you go, <laughs> you know, here's what now, you know, here's what this is like. No, right, but right. within the age appropriate thing, you are just, she has been very forthwith. She has been very um, forward in, in being both patient and receptive to what they need. And I, and I, I think that's, you know, my ego wants to 
and, and my insecurities and my fears come into play. And, you know, luckily we have a, a good communication where I can say, I'm freaking out about this. I'm freaking out. And she's like, okay, got you. I know you're freaking out. Yeah. Here's what we're going to do or how I think we can talk about this. Yeah. And she's been really, really a, an amazing uh, mother and she's just incredible. Really I think that's it. so cool. And it takes so much patience because there is a lot of listening involved. I mean, for adults and teenagers alike, it's like, I feel just, I feel like more of a baby sometimes than probably your girls do. It's just like, I want to be listened to and I need my thing. And I yeah. get so fussy when I don't have my thing. And like, yeah. especially now that I've stopped drinking, it's like, there's nothing to fill that void. I mean, I still smoke pot, which helps. Sure. But it's just like, there's nothing to fill that. California's sober. Exactly. (laughs) There's like, it's so funny though, because there's nothing to fill that void. And then I'm trying to quit cigarettes. So I started vaping, which is like, then I feel like an 18 year old skateboarding boy. And I'm like, (laughs) okay, I'm an 18 year old skateboarding boy. And I'm still smoking cigarettes less, very like a lot less, which is good because I don't smell like cigarette smoke. But I'm still vaping. It's just like, I don't know. It's, it's, I, we're all just trying to find our thing. But my point, yeah, going back to it is like, how cool to have parents that get that and that are able to answer your questions. Because my mom was really good about stuff growing up for me. She was always really open. My dad was too, but he was a little bit more like you of like, well, we can't tell her about sex or we can't <laughs> tell her about these things, <laughs> you know? And so I think that's just a natural dad behavior for sure. sure. Um, but what's cool about the fact that you let her watch Big Mouth too, is that it's age appropriate for her. That's what's what her age range is going through. So why not let her watch it? I think it's fantastic. Right. Wow. There's so many things I want to unpack. Yeah. One, I'm so, uh, I'm so, in, I, I don't, I still drink in the sense that I don't, I haven't made a conscious decision not to drink. However, I barely drink. If I have a beer, it's amazing. Like yeah. I'm like, wow, I'm having a beer. Yeah. Uh, I, I'm California sober. And my decision in regards, because somebody has said to me, it, it's come up quite a few times in my circle of friends about, alcohol, drugs, and stuff like that. Like, well, it's legal now. Can the kids know that we smoke weed? I'm like, I, I think it's less about knowing that we smoke it and and more about how we, how do we see it as a family or as an inner circle. So how we treat it is how they will treat it. Yep. So if sex is, is a taboo or if drinking is a taboo, they will see it as a way of rebelling. Yeah. And they will act out with it. This is my armchair parenting point of view. Yeah. So uh, this is my own ex- aspect. So so th- do I? I don't smoke pot in the house. Mm-hmm. I I I vape a little bit before a movie or going out to a friend's house or being at an at an at a, at a at a an event or an something event or something. Yeah. Yeah, but at the same time, it's so I don't. I'm not home with it. I'm not sitting in the backyard having a conversation, smoking out. Yeah. Not that that's good or bad. I'm just saying what my what my boundaries are in regards totally. to. Totally. And and I think that uh, in regards to like big mouth and experiencing that stuff, I had to learn it from the playground or from the hangout from my friends. Yep. So like my understanding was like if you penetrated. 12 times, that's how you got girls pregnant. And I was like, oh, (laughs) just don't do it 12 times. (laughs) (laughs) Who specifically chose the number 12? That's hilarious. Well, it's a dozen, right? It's a baker's dozen, right? (laughs) 
12 times. I, you know, I feel like it's it's also like the the things that you, you, I'm sure every kid has some weird thing where they're like, oh, at 14, I thought this is what this meant. Or, yeah, at, yeah. you know, and, and even the word, like even talking about pot, I remember being a kid and thinking that it must look like a, it must look like a pot that's small and you must melt the end and that's how you smoke it. I don't understand. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. And I think that creates a mystery and it creates a danger and an excitement and a thrill to it. Cause we all rebel. Teenagers rebel. They're designed to get out of the house. They're built yeah. to get away from you. Yeah. That's their it's whole healthy. point. It's important yeah. for self-development. Yeah, exactly. And their brains don't work quite well yet. They're still yep. developing a brain. So how do you balance that? And I find that for what little I know about raising children, other than my own experience, I find that the more we don't make things a big deal, you know, and the more we just say things as facts, she has been more receptive to explaining things. Like, here's an example. I like, Look, here's the, you know, she's like, I want to be able to go hang out with my friends until this time at night, uh, 10 o'clock. She wants to go hang out with her friends till 10 o'clock on a Friday night. I'm mm -hmm. like, well, cool. I need to know who you're with and where you're going. Mm -hmm. And the deal is you're allowed to do that as long as I can have, an, I, I can have Life 360 on your phone. Yeah. I'm not going to call you every five seconds. I'm going to trust you and you're going to be home by 10 o'clock. Yeah. She's never out past 10 o'clock. She comes home at 9, 9.30. She'll, she'll make sure that she's in the door. She'll ask um, if she is running late. She'll say, hey, can I have a ride? I'm not going to make it home by 10. And that's what, what matters to me is she can she handle herself mm. as she grows up and takes on more and more responsibility. And I feel like my parents did the best they could. They were great. But there was a lot of yelling and screaming, a lot of don't do this, a lot of right. don't do that. You're wrong. You're wrong. You're going right. to. I was raised with a lot of fear. You climb up that tree, you're going to fall out. You go out late at night, you're going to get into trouble. You mm -hmm. hang out with those people, you're going to get arrested. Mm -hmm. You know, and none of it, thankfully, very little amount of that happened. Um, mm -hmm. That's what I was going to say. It's like it's fear based. And so part of the reason why she does come home at 10 o'clock is because she respects you because you respect her enough to trust her. There's yeah. this mutual respect that's happening between parent and child that is very cool and very modern because it's not, it's quite the opposite of helicopter parenting, right? Which I don't, I'm not a huge fan of. I don't, if I did have kids, I certainly feel like I would try not to raise them that way, but how difficult not to, because you don't want them to break, you know? Yeah. It's just, it's, it would be really difficult to be hands-off and hands-on at the same time. And I just think you guys have done a really beautiful job balancing that. It's insane to me. Well, that so, is incredibly kind of you to say. Thank you, Megan. Well, it's I just really truth. That. Congratulations. <laughs> it's all over now, everyone. We won. <laughs> That's it. That's it. <laughs> it never ends either. My mother makes fun of me. I'll call her and be like, blah, 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 blah. She's like, it never ends, Paul. Never You're calling ends. me. <laughs> yep. Yep. It's a vicious, grand, beautiful cycle of life. Yeah, indeed. Yeah. Um, so what have you, other than having kids and, you know, being able to teach and stuff, what have you been doing, um, sort of just to keep yourself kind of sane during the last two years, what have you been doing? Oh, wow. Um, um, I, let's see at the beginning of pandemic, like two years ago, uh, Matt Pittner, Arlo Sanders and I kind of 
launch this uh, Outpost 13, this this streaming uh, kind of destination for artists to keep creative, to stream out of their own home. That was a lot of fun. And we did that for about a year. Mm-hmm. And we were kind of um, upfront about wanting to develop something more outside of just the streaming aspect. And uh, I'm connected to uh, Daniel Blinkoff and Tamlin Tamita are uh, creating a theater out in Highland Park. That's so cool. And they brought us on. Um, we had already been in conversation. I've been in conversation with them for a while. Matt and I have and uh, or with Daniel. And then we kind of, kind of transitioned Outpost 13 into this kind of new yeah. uh, outside-in theater online. And and it, it was a wonderful transition for as challenging as it was, because I don't think we were prepared for how it would affect us kind of in the culture of what we were trying to do. You know, when you're doing sure. something it, like independent comedy, right? Like doing indie comedy means... You could say what you want. You could do what you want. You could write the sketch how you want. You could write the stand-up bit, the video, whatever. You're in control of your environment. Mm-hmm. When you start to align yourself with a, with more people or different groups, suddenly yeah. you have to ask yourself as the artist or how are you how are you kind of aligning with what the new point of view is of Absolutely. that Absolutely, yeah. And I think we found ourselves in a unique situation where we – transition but we transitioned a little too fast Mm. i'm not afraid of criticism self-criticism i think we transitioned too fast without having a clear perspective on what our objective was and how and why we wanted to do it and so that put us in this kind of like we were kind of clunking along rather Mm -hmm. than really kind of lifting off the ground so the last half of the pandemic last year has been experimenting, failing, trying again, figuring stuff out and and trying to put together a digital uh, relationship between artists and an online community that can co uh, co-support each other. Yeah. Can absolutely. we support the, yeah. 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 And it's it's been interesting. It's been challenging, it's been interesting. We at the same time uh, Matt Arlo and I Produce some stuff outside of that. Produce a stand-up special that you were uh, a guest on. Which was so much fun and so well-produced. I'm not just saying that because I was in it. That was one of the most memorable nights of 2021 for me because the energy there, the crowd, the people that were on the actual stage, all everything about it was such a magical night. And I really appreciated all the hard work that you guys put into that and everything looked so good. You bought a stage for God's sake. Like you guys bought a stage and we put it in Matt Pittner's backyard and it looked so professional and well lit. Like the video footage I have from that night is like one of my top YouTube videos. I share it all the time. It's like the thing that I send to like, you know, industry for like, oh, I do stand up. Take a look at this. So it was, it's yeah, it really, and everyone came together which is something that I've really noticed in the outside and community as well is yeah. how much people have each other's backs. What a huge network of support it is. Yeah. I, I I'm going to give credit where credit is due. Matthew Pittner and Arlo. Arlo's an amazing supporter as mm-hmm. well. I'm only going to put the spotlight on Matthew in regards to his 
love of community and how yeah. well he serves it. Oh my God. Um, yeah. He really, he's really the kind of person who just gets a lot of energy and power from being a person who serves community. And it's, yeah. it's really wonderful to be a part of. And the same with Arlo. He just has a, a gift for understanding um, production on a quality level. Anybody can set up a camera and that's really important and that's great. There's something about going, and you're an artist, you understand this. Like the idea is like, I have a great idea. That's great. Your idea is great. Everyone <laughs> idea is great. It's going from idea to completion. That center part is the art. Yeah. And someone like Arlo is very good at um, saying, well, here, sprinkle some magic imp uh, dust on it and we'll do this and we'll do that. And suddenly it's great. And you're like, wow, you were right. All we need to do is put a light over there. The camera is better over here. Yeah. And it just, it's just when you have a team like that, who's not afraid to take the time to, to make a mistake and then say, ah, let's not do it that way. Let's try something else. Mm. You end up creating an environment where people are welcome and feel comfortable and safe. I'm going to use the word safe. I don't like the word safe, but safe to fail. In. And I think yeah. that's, that's important. It's very important. It's really, especially, um, in an artist community because we're already comparing ourselves to everyone whether they're an acquaintance, a peer, or someone highly famous, we're always, you know, wondering what we're doing wrong, right? Or why we're not in a different spot or whatever the situation is. I was talking yeah. to Arlo about that this morning, actually. I was just like, you know, sometimes I wish that we just lived on a farm in Ohio and we're really stupid. And all we had to worry about was like if the chickens were fed, you know, yeah. and just like making sure the garden was hoed yeah. and not having much to think about all day. And yeah. I'm not saying that people in Ohio were stupid. I don't want a bunch of hate mail from Ohio. I just picked that state out of my butt. But I just meant in general, <laughs> I sometimes wish I was very ignorant and stupid because it would be so much more blissful than what we do here, which is constant worry and constant panic and constant comparison. And I really, really try to practice being in the present moment because of that reason. Because um, I feel like being in the present keeps me from worrying so much about the future. A hundred percent. I have two things. My amazing wife gave me a quote years ago, years and years and years ago. And she said, uh, and I and I, I'm I'm not going to rebut the argument. I think you're right. I want to. I would say this though. She gave me this quote, which is impression minus expression equals depression, mm. which translates to me in regards to what we're talking about. Is you and I are out there as creatives. We are. Our hearts are open. Our comedy minds are there. We're creatively receiving impressions mm -hmm. and they land on us. I just saw uh, Tokyo Vice this morning, the first uh, trailer drop for HBO Max. And I was like, I'm all in. I'm all yeah. in. I want to make a Tokyo. I want to make a Tokyo Vice movie. I want to be in this. I want to do it. Immediately was so, it. It lands for me in such a Ken Watanabe's in it. And I was like, I love this already. I don't even yeah. have to see it. Already. And and we receive these impressions all the time. Well, as an artist, I need to do something. Yep. I need to express how these things are landing for me. Yeah. And when we can't get that stuff out, it kind of for me, it kind of stays inside me and it comes out sideways, like uncomfortable and I'm anxious or I'm, mm -hmm. 
I'm frustrated by something and I can't figure out why. So mm-hmm. I need to go do things. And that's where improv became my my addiction is because oh, yeah. I was just so in love with it. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it just really scratched my itch. And then the other thing that I've had to learn, and this has taken a long time, and I'm going to quote David Rosowski at the end of it, but I, I, when you compare, you despair. Mm-hmm. So when I compare, I immediately think, think, oh man, I'm just not doing enough. I'm the worst. I can't do this. I can't do that. And Rosowski says, uh, he's an improv teacher. He was at Second City. He does his own thing now. Um, he had a, he has a saying that other people's success or failure has no bearing on your success or failure. Jesus. Yeah. And that I is know. such a breath of fresh air for me. Just going, you're right. And mm-hmm. when I get, when I start comparing and I start to despair, I'm like, Good for that person. They got that gig. Yeah. Off they go. I I can't do that. I'm going to look. What, what, what else can I do? What can I do to scratch my itch today? Yep. You know. are, you in a, are you a believer that everything happens for a reason? Or is that a little hippy dippy? No, I'm, I'm totally down with that. I, yeah, I, but I, I at the same too. time, I, at, the, at the same time, there is no spoon. Like mm-hmm. everything happens for a reason. Okay. I end up thinking... Um, like, huh, um, this happened. I wonder what that's going to mean. I don't know what that means yet. Yeah. Yeah. Huh. And then like 24 hours later, something happens. I'm like, ah, ah there, it is. there it is. That's why that happened. Definitely. So I, but everything happens for a reason. One door closes, another door opens. And that's hard to live with as, yeah. as a young person, as an old man now at 52, it's a lot easier for me to, to have an open heart and mind about that. Yeah. There's a sense of relief I get from it too. I feel like just because of the pandemic, I feel like everyone was pushed into this weird early semi-permanent retirement. Like I, I've been working since I was, you know, 19 years old. So that's roughly, roughly 20 years, a little over 20 years of, you know, hard work and labor in the grand scheme of someone's life. That's not very many years, but to me, that's half my life. So to not be working at a jobby job, you know, mm-hmm. to not be bringing in like a regular nine to five income or even have my own business anymore has been super unsettling. Cause I just feel like, okay, yeah, I've got these creative endeavors. I've got these things going on, but at the end of the day, it feels archaic that my husband is still the breadwinner. And it's like, yeah, that's part of the reason why I wanted to do this podcast is like, I need something to fucking do because I'm just going crazy. There's so many hours in the day. Like I can't, I need something to focus my energy yes. on. And so much guilt is associated with that fall. Just like so much guilt of like, I'm not doing enough to bring it in or this and that. And like my right brain understands, like it knows better than not, the not depressed brain understands, you know, and gets it and, and tries to be kind to myself and give myself a break. But the depressed and the anxious side is just constantly down on that. And it's, it's really difficult to balance because um, I think a lot of my identity was really wrapped up in who I was as a performer. So when that, all that was just stripped, just taken away overnight, I literally was a walking cliche of, well, who am I then? What, what do I do? What do I do now? What do I do next? You know? Yeah. I just want to, I want to say two things. The first thing is, you know, what's that self-talk like? Mm-hmm. What do you, what's that self-talk going on in there? Unpack that for yourself. 
you your 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 worth is far beyond your talent. Right. You know, you're you're I've I've only known you these few, you know, God, it feels like more than I want to say. Like I feel like I've known you four or five years now. And I feel like for as much as I've known you, I've known you as Megan, not mm-hmm. as stand-up comic. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I feel like Megan is this hilarious, fun, up energy, oh. intelligent woman who's fun to be like I want to hang out with you as much as I you know what I mean I want to be a, I want to be connected to you. Um so I just would I, I mean what I would say is that if this was our acting class yeah. what I would say is what's going on in that self-talk and just just be kind to yourself. Yeah. Yeah. Hard for me man my self-talk you know like I said it's you're not good enough you got to get it together you're never going to f- succeed. Here's the other thing I want to say and I think this is really important for everyone to hear. I forgot to plug in my computer. So I'm going to run and grab the cord. (laughs) (laughs) Of course. This can all be edited out. And in the meantime, uh, I'll take a sip of coffee. For those of you listeners who do have coffee, take a sip. Maybe it's Diet Coke. Maybe it's water. Maybe you're not the beverage type and you've got popcorn instead. Allow yourself to snack now. So the second thing I would say is... um, what do we, what I I have always asked myself, what do I really want? What do I want? Yep. Is it my ego telling me what I want? Is it my, my artist telling me what I want? Is it Paul telling me what I want? Yep. And, and I find that when I, when I really boil it down, when I really boil down what I do and my love of being an artist or being an actor or comic, whatever, I say artist because it just covers so much more. So much more, yeah. Um, what do I really want? And what I really want is to make. And I don't need anyone's permission in 2022 to make art, to That's make, right. be creative. So whether it's the pandemic, look, look at you. Look at what you're doing with a podcast. I mean, everyone blew up with the podcast, and I think that's freaking great. We live in a world where we can do that. Look at what you can do. You have access to it. Is it easy? No. <laughs> uh huh. It it just takes it just takes what it takes, and and I think we as artists are so tough on ourselves. Oh my god, yeah. Especially art. I mean, you're younger than me, but. But I don't think it's not a lot of us got trained on how to make videos or how to edit, or how no. to shoot something, how to how to upload a podcast, how to edit a podcast, how to how to fix a mic, how to balance a mic, like all of those things. No, you have to teach so, yourself. It's all self-taught. Yeah, totally. So go easy on yourself as you inch by inch your way through it, because that's all it is. It's all about just trying and failing to me. I don't yeah, know, most definitely. No, I think so too. And there's so much joy that can be found oh. in the failure sometimes yeah. also, which is sort of ironic because I can think of some of my hardest times in the past that made me such a more well-rounded, grounded, stronger yes. person and really built my charisma. It yes. was miserable at the time going through it, you know, but sure. I came out of it a much stronger person. Um, and, you know, I I really respect the hell out of 
the directors that I had that were really hard on me as well, because they knew and they could see that potential and they could push me to work a little harder to bring me to the place that I am now. And also show me that it does take hard work. You can't just skate by on your wigs and glasses and your funny voices. You know, it's like, it takes research and homework and really grounding it in some type of reality for it to work. And so, um, that's just sort of a life lesson too, is that, you have to be grounded in reality, some sort of reality for your life yeah. to work and function. <laughs> yeah, you really do. Now, yeah. is your ba- were you an improviser before you became a stand-up or you a stand-up mm-hmm. before you became a... Yeah? I was an improviser first. So I did like all throughout like middle school, high school, college. I did improv, sketch comedy, a lot of musical theater. I was <gasps> super, super involved with the church. So I was really involved in like you know, church skits and bits and going off to young life camp and being the entertainment and, uh, leading praise and worship. Yeah. I bet you were, I bet you were too. (laughs) Oh, I was such a theater nerd. It was only musicals is all I could get into. And I went to a a Catholic high school. So I I was like, you know, let's go, let's sing. sing, Yeah. And all I did was sketch comedy and and improv. And when I got to, yeah, when I got to college, I was like, my people, these are my people. Me too. And that's how I felt when I got to um, UCB, especially because I was probably 22 or 23. I was oh, really perfect. young. Yeah. Perfect, perfect age, hot and ready, hungry, really, yeah. really just ready to dive in there. And yeah. so I came in when UCB was still fairly new. So I got to learn from some of the masters. I got to learn, you know, I got to take a class with Amy. I got to do yeah. a show, Matt Besser's, you know, oh, wow. show, Freak Dance. The, uh, for, uh, oh God, what was it called? It was the longest name. Freak Dance, the Forbidden Dirty Boogaloo, something along those lines. Um, and it was like, it was his baby. It was his musical. It was his show. Uh, and I was so intimidated and so scared to be in a sure. show that was directed by Matt Besser. And I had held him on such a pedestal because at UCB, they really treat the masters like gods. You know, What, so, what year was that? That was 2006. Yeah, so you're right there. Yeah, you're right at the you're right at the the the, the nuclear launch of that whole situation. The they rule they rule the roost from 2005 to 2015. I feel like and those that was my heyday. That's when yeah. I was there. You know, doing I was on Harold. I was on Mod. I was doing quick and funny musicals. I was doing every late night show I could get my hands on. Yeah. Every quick and dirty sketch, whatever yeah. you know. I did a couple spanks, um, which are basically spanks are like pilot shows, you know, yeah. to introduce your own new material and see if yeah. you can get a run. I mean, I was all over that theater. And then I did some stuff at, at Impro or not Impro, um, Improv Olympic. I did some I, oh, stuff. Yeah. yeah at IO. I did some stuff at Second City. I did one workshop yeah. at Groundlings when I was in high school. Yeah. But for the most part, UCB was really my home theater. So that was another thing is like, when the pandemic came around, I was at a time in my life where I knew that I was start. It was kind of out with the old and with the new. I knew that it was starting to change. The newer flush of kids were there. UCB had grown so, so big. I was never on the calendar except for once a month anymore just to do quick and funny musicals. So I knew that things were, I was on my way out anyway, but then to just have it completely stripped was like, what the fuck? Let me ask you something. Mm-hmm. In all seriousness, that point before pandemic, mm-hmm. 
would you have rather have stayed there? Pretend there's no pandemic. Would you have okay. rather have stayed there and been on once a month or whatever and slowly fade, uh, slowly stop going? Uh-huh. Or would you rather have had somebody at some point say, hey, you have crushed it. This is the end of your training. Or did they tell you this is the end of your training? In a good way. Like, I'm not coming down. Like, no negativity. Uh-huh. Like, full on, like, you've completed all the courses of this exam. Right. You are completed your courses. You're kind of free to go because I let me tell you why I'm saying this. I personally think what Groundlings does really well is they tell you, thank you very much. You're done. Mm -hmm. And they let people go. And I think other places like a UCB or I'll use I shouldn't use anybody. I don't know for facts. Mm -hmm. I find that the community of improvisers prior to, to pandemic, there's no end game. There's no conclusion. Be, yeah, it was a little different because at least they're training you to sort of be show, at the space. show ponies. Yeah, I mean, they're training you to bring in tickets. They're training you to have your own run. They're training you in the hopes that eventually you would be a stagnant fixture or a piece there. And so to what, what I, end? To what end is, very, is the right question. And so right? that's a really hard question to answer because I, I feel like if someone had told me, right, there's no pandemic, if someone was just like, okay, it's time to move on now, you've done what you can, you've done everything you can possibly do at this space, it's time to move on, I would think, okay, great, that's heartbreaking, but what a healthy opportunity for me to continue growing in other ways and promote change right. for myself and to be involved in, hey, how about this, other yeah. spaces than UCB and get to know, ooh, other people, you know? Yeah. Um, I think that, that I probably would prefer that someone would, you know, tell me you've done what you can done here, be done basically. But, um, is that even English? You've done what you've yes. done here. <laughs> I, I heard English. I heard English. I heard, I heard British. Oh, God bless you. Thank you. So, thank you so much, governor. Uh, <laughs> right. Yeah, right. Right. Oh, mate. Uh, no, it's going to be grand. I just think it's <laughs> suddenly we're the cast of tenant. <laughs> Oh my God, you never know what you're going to get. Um, <laughs> it's just all these lovely artists, so many voices. Um, yeah, I think to answer your question, it's like, I, I feel like it, it is kind of nice to be a pony that's pulled off the track. Um, I've also had, you know, like pure disclosure, a lot of relief from having some time off. Yeah. Um, with and my anxiety disorder, half the time I'm worried that I'm even going to be able to show up and perform because right. my anxiety has been so severe in the past that there are times when I'm like, can I even do this show? Yeah. Can I make this show? If yeah. there's no understudy, I've fucked the entire class. Like I yeah. don't, or, you know, or cast rather. It's like, I just get nervous about that stuff. And so yeah. luckily knock on wood, now my, you know, shit is under management. It's been really good. I'm switched to different magic, uh, switched to different medications, which mm. is nice because that's yeah. sort of balancing it out now that I've done weaning myself off my old one. Yeah. Um, so that's, you know, that's always a play and effect too, is just finding the right balance in your own medical he health care, which is a nightmare in this country anyway. Um, yeah. but I think that I found a great relief in the pause. And I've been happy with the pause because it's helped me kind of recenter and regroup myself to be like, what is it you yeah. want to do? What yes. do you want to do? I imagine that kind of feels the same way for you with outside in. 
Yeah, it it outside in the outside in theater uh, is going. You know, it is. Oh gosh, <laughs> so many emotions. I know. Um, outside in is going to be, I think, very special. Yeah. I do think that we suffer presently from startup syndrome. We are not organized, put together, clear. We still have a lot of growing to do. And that's fine. Yeah. Now's the time to do it. Before we've opened up the doors and already built a season or whatever, now is the time to do that. So so with Outside In, yeah, I, I think it's going to be wonderful when we kind of get that track set up. Yeah. And, and at the same time, the, I'm, I want to connect to like what you said about taking a pause because the anxiety I had at the beginning of pandemic, and I think a lot of people, when you consider 4 million people quit their jobs or even Jeez. more than that, like just like the great migration yeah. or the great resignation, you know, I, I was so caught up in what I was doing prior that I didn't, I didn't, I was willing to sacrifice myself. Mm-hmm. And so when I let go of that single, that myopic perspective on what I was doing and kind of had to deal with me, I had to get up with me in the morning. There was no place to go. There was nothing. There was no, nothing. It was yeah. teaching because I was still teaching at, at USC and I was teaching, I was teaching at a, another studio called Keep It Real Acting with Judy Kane. Mm-hmm. And so that was great. But there, and plus the psychopath that was in the White House didn't make anything any easier. No. So as that anxiety just erupted through yeah. me for the that part of the pandemic until yeah. the election, and even after the election, it took a while to come down. Yeah. The anxiety was through the roof. So I'm grateful for that change. You know, oh my God, change just happened. What does that mean? Mm-hmm. Right? Like we said earlier, but it took me a while to kind of realize that I'm also a a person who likes to produce and create for other people and find, and that was a blessed discovery during the pandemic. I'm like, I know how to do this. That's I know how to make a show happen. I know how to help be part of a team that can like the stand-up show, make something happen. Or these, I mean, we had a, a a game show on um, two truths and a lie. Yes. And that show was so well produced. It was that so show well was done. so much fun. I got to do that show once. It was a yeah. blast. It was a blast, and it was so everybody worked so hard on it. And the quality product for like, I kind of like like the pandemic awards is what should have happened. That show yeah. would have been nominated and won something because they worked so hard on it. It was so complex and yeah. all done from home. Yeah, it's amazing. Yeah, you know. So so I'm the pandemic really asked me to think outside the box do what I wanted to do. And it also meant, and this is something, you know, you've heard everybody say who does have children. It meant that my kids had to stay with me. That's right. They were allowed, you know, <laughs> they were forced to hang out with me. And, and I, I wouldn't exchange it for the world. Was it, was it challenging at times? Was it high anxiety at times? Hell yes. Yeah. But I wouldn't trade the fact that the, my, my two daughters, my wife and I had no choice but to hang out together. And whether we, I remember like the first, I feel like everybody did this, like in the first month of pandemic, we're like, we're making tie dyes. We're making tie dyes and we're going to make bread. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) 
everybody had <laughs> fucking starter in their kitchen for months. Yeah. <laughs> so like we did all that shit, and then the first six weeks was over. We're like, fuck, what are we gonna do what now? Gonna do? <laughs> and and it's really funny because it kind of worked out. You know, it it it, it was challenging, but all the time I spent with them is the thing I wouldn't trade. Yeah. Um, all the transitions, all the changes that happened, I wouldn't trade. And I and I think when I hear you talk about transitioning medication or being aware of self-care, that sounds to me like that's exactly what Megan needed. Yeah. Yeah. And good for you. Like what a gift to have that opportunity to not have to get up and go to work per se or yeah. You know, yeah, you had the 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 gift of someone being the breadwinner that you can be like, I am a fucking mess right now and I don't want to go anywhere. It's like, true. In, yeah. And and I I really identify with that. I went through a lot of shit too. My my uh self-care is I work out. I've discovered that if I jog or if I go to the gym and I I express myself an inordinate amount of energy, I feel yeah. better. I'm a so something I discovered is I'm O positive blood. Okay. So when O positive blood becomes stressed, I produce um, oh, uh, adrenaline. Oh shit! So I create anxiety. So I wonder I can, if I'm O positive. That sounds like me. Gee, I don't even and, know what blood type I am. And and what I found was like I was like, man, when I when I got into, when I got into, my mother would always joke. She's like, whenever I get into an argument with your father, I clean the dishes. And I'm like, I found myself cleaning dishes. I'm like, oh my god. <laughs> What's going on? I'm like, I'm just like my mother, you know. And um, and when I heard, when I found this out through uh, my trainer Cricket Hodges over at uh, Go Tribe, she mm-hmm. gave me this little breakdown of like blood types, and I was like, adrenaline. Well, that that explains so fucking much. Yeah, you know. And yeah. and I was really grateful for that discovery. So that became my self care. That's cool. Well, Everybody was, I, I mean, I did catch COVID, but I did keep going to the gym and I don't care. I, it was better for me. It was healthier for me to go, you know, at first I didn't go to the gym. We, the gym was closed, but right. I would go for a run every day. I'd go, you know, I I'd do some sort of online exercise outside in the backyard right. like a maniac. Right. Um, but I, that has become very clear to me that that has been, and I have ADHD. Yeah. So that kind of physical activity for me really makes a difference. Big time. Big yeah. time. Yeah. I have to do something physical. I find too, for the anxiety and for the, I have ADD. So it's like, yeah, it's very similar. I, I think that's also why I got so heavy into golf, uh, over the pandemic because it was so first, first it was just really satisfying to, make contact with a ball and watch it fly across a field. <laughs> I mean, I just, that feeling was so, you know, powerful and exciting. <laughs> I love just smacking balls around. But then, <laughs> I actually like learned the game and got into the game and learned to play. And I found it so Zen and relaxing. And it was yeah. the only time I found I could really get out of my own head and my own body where I yeah. wasn't feeling the body anxiety, the, um, the tremors, the heart palpitations, the chest pains, the sweats, the, you know, the headaches, all that stuff would just like, I would just go to this place where I was in. And the only place I also feel that way is dancing. So like dancing oh. and golf, I was like, okay, those are my two avenues. I also did, I played guitar a lot. I drew a lot. I haven't had as much 
motivation lately to draw or to play guitar. Like I couldn't tell you the last time I picked up my guitar. It's been a while, but that's mm. kind of normal for me. It sort of goes up and down and dips and flows. And I have to have like, like a bee in my bonnet to get me yeah. to want to do it anyway. But um, yeah. are we going to play golf? Yeah, absolutely. Anytime, anytime. Yeah. I, uh, three par? yeah, I'm pretty good on a three par. Anything more than that, we'll see. But three pars, I'm all right at. All right. I'm down. <laughs> That'd I'm be so, so much fun. I have the worst, like, well, worst, best set of clubs that I got from my uncle-in-law, Frank. And he's awesome. about five seven, so they fit me fine because I'm five four. And yeah. so I just go out with my little used clubs and have a day of it. It's very cool. I used to put on the bottom of my resume back in the 90s, I used to put, you know, special skills. They still have that, right? Special skills on your resume. Yeah. The bottom of the re- on the bottom of special skills, I used to write, and a scratch golfer. <laughs> and every now and again, you'd get some producer be like, says here, you're a scratch golfer. So how's your game? <laughs> yeah, I'm pretty good with the long stick. When it comes to the short game, it gets a little tight for me, but I can keep it under three. And I was like, really? I'm like, just to get some conversation rolling. It never got me a roll, but I always liked the conversation and hoped it might put me in the positive. Oh, yeah. No, that's super smart. That's really, really funny. Yeah, I've definitely <laughs> noticed that for sure. Whenever you mention golf, there's always that special person that's like their ears perk up, and then you end up having like a 45-minute conversation about golf which is super boring but not to me <laughs> yeah my father my late father-in-law was a pro at a club in Arizona and I got to play with him only a few times between when Angela and I got together and, and we lost him but he had this and and it's funny because I I think about him I, I I've said this to my wife a million times like it's so funny I know I knew the man for such a short amount of time we had such a quick friendship. So it was so easy, like so quickly, like, oh, wow, I get you. Mm. Raised on the East Coast, Italian, got it. You know, um, and he he had such a Zen perspective of golf. It was about being relaxed. It was about yep. letting go and about yep. being present. And I mean, it, it really, it's such a funny game to me because I've had the luxury of playing with so many different people. I'm not good at all. My dad loved it. <laughs> Uncle loved it, but my dad was worse than I am. God bless him. Um, but I, I'm really lucky that I've gotten to play with so many different people. And to me, the best part of the game is the walk. I agree a hundred percent. I agree. It's yep. I prefer the walk actually to a golf cart for that reason. Yeah. <laughs> That's it's just awesome. like just being able to spend the day, even if I'm by myself. But it's really nice when you're with a partner or with a little small group to take the walk, enjoy the company. And then one of the cool things about golf is that there's so many factors, right? Like you're saying, you have so many things going through your head and so many little things to perfect, drop your shoulder, knees, you know, hip width apart, make sure that you're bending, make sure that you keep your shoulders straight, your arms straight, make sure you keep your eye on the ball. And then you just let it all go. You forget all of it. You just forget all of it and you go and you go and you play. And it's like, it's the most enjoyable experience. It's so true. It's funny, isn't it? it and here's what, let's let's bring it all back to art, shall we? Shall we? It's kind of like improv, right? You yep. train so hard to learn these rules, and the job is once you get on stage, let it all go. Let go, baby. Yeah, and I think the same thing with being an artist, whether it's being a comic or an actor. You you you've trained yourself in such a way 
so that you can absorb the material or you practice the material and then or perform the material. And then when you do it, you're really just letting it happen. Yeah. And and it's the it's those bound it's the boundaries within the art that I think that is so important to recognize. I just had this conversation a week ago with my with my improv class. I said, you know, you've got all these freaking rules. They're all USC students, so they're mm-hmm. all really kind of they work really hard. I give them a lot of credit. Yeah. University of spoiled children, they say, but at the same time, they work their ass off. <laughs> yeah. And I'm happy to have them. I'm really proud to, to have them. They're great students. And I would say this, like, I, I remind them all the time, like, you guys and your damn rules, like, like, mm. let go of the fucking rules, man. Let mm. go. Stop trying to do it right. Cut it out. You know, yeah. go, go break the rules. Go do it wrong. Sometimes you get close to the, to the, you're on the green, you're, you got a short putt and you start asking yourself, well, what's the tilt on this? How should I do this? What's my swing going to be? How right? back do I go? And next thing you know, you miss this easy putt because all you're doing is thinking about what you don't want to do. Yeah. Yeah. It's like sometimes, and I understand that art is boundaries. At the same time, understand your boundaries and work within them. That's right. That's a hundred percent right. And having fun. And it's like, there's a lot of that happening again. I feel like alternative yeah. comedy is making this yeah. big comeback. I agree. I mean, which is, I love, cause that reminds me of the old days. Like we were talking about 2005, 2006, yeah. when I, when I first started coming into UCB, I would see some crazy stuff on stage. Like I watched yeah. a guy take a dump on a tarp at UCB Franklin. I mean, talk about- are we bragging about that? <laughs> is that, is that my art? I think that's really clarifying. I mean, exactly. Was that? Yeah, yeah. You know yeah. what I saw? Yeah. I saw someone jerk off on stage. <laughs> I saw that too. Yeah. Well, God, and that person didn't even get knocked up. Uh, get get called out for me too. You know, that's how <laughs> that guy. People praised him. People you know praised I mean? him for being so brave. <laughs> yeah, really, so brave. Thanks for that. Couldn't write anything that night. I know what I'll do. I'm going to go out there, take a shit and jerk off at the same time. Look at me. It's so true. And it's like, and we were just, but talk about literally just not, I mean, no boundaries, you know, as far as just like flying by the seat of your pants. And yes, I do like, I do like highbrow, lowbrow, all jokes aside. I do like, I love stupid humor. I love it. I, love I agree. It. I think it's so much fun. Stupid humor yes. makes me laugh harder than almost anything. Yeah. So I'm a big fan of people taking chances and being stupid and silly on yes. stage for sure. Yes. I would agree with that. We can leave. I mean, I don't need to watch anyone take a shit on stage ever again, but I do respect the fact that <laughs> they took a chance. <laughs> on an they alternative comedy right. bit. Yeah. yeah. But I've yeah. seen so much more of that. Um, you know, not that specific deck. I've, but I've seen so much more of that sort of energy. Like I did a, I did the tomorrow show a couple of weeks back and that show was where I remember starting out, you know, back when I was younger in my early twenties and just being so in awe of the comics that were there and, you know, James Adomian and just watching people take chances and try new things. And, um, that's where I fell in love with character work. That's why I started doing character work so heavy was when alt comedy was really big. And so now watching it kind of like come back around again is really cool and really encouraging and also intimidating because it's a whole new group of brand new faces. Yeah. Brand there new always kids. Will be. There'll always be the new people. They're there always, always going to keep be. coming up and take their shot. I, I think it's great. I think indie comedy has always been the forefront 
Um, and it makes total sense after everything that's happened over the last couple of years. If you go all the way back to Me Too, you have, you know, how many space, I mean, Improv Olympic alone was yep. nuked because of, you know, I'm, I don't know what anything that happened back there, but I would say that like from what I've heard or what I've read, it sounds like there was a lot of abuse taking, abuse of power taking place. But you also have this kind of reckoning happening after the murder of George Floyd, people trying to take stock again. So yeah. all these institutions have kind of had to, the you know, they've kind of had to lower down the barriers a little bit, kind of rethink some things, which is great. We want that. At the same time, like we said at the beginning, because there's no institution around me, I can create whatever goddamn art I want. I can do stand-up set. I can do sketch set. I can do video. I can make whatever I want to make. So indie players always get to go out the gate first because they don't have anyone telling them what they can or can't do, which is why I love independent comedy. I love that you say that it's about the risk and that person went out there and took a risk for themselves because they're trying to move the boundaries that they've set for themselves. It would be, that sounds crazy. Take a deuce on stage. Are you crazy? They push the boundaries out a little bit more for themselves and they can take bigger risks Yeah, because they feel that that can't control them anymore. So that's exciting to me. That is exciting. The principle of it is exciting. That's what I mean by highbrow, lowbrow, because while it is just taking a shit on stage, the stakes that it took to get there, I actually really respect. I totally agree. (laughs) I could never do it. I was was barely able to do a nude scene. I can't do like, you want me to get in front of people? Like, are you kidding me? No way. There's yeah. no way I would have, no I way. would have such a hard time doing. Yeah. Even an, a nude scene would really trip me out. I think yeah. I'd have a hard, yeah. hard time with that. And that's that inner voice of me too. Right. That's my inner, inner voice, you know, or my self talk going on where it's like, you know, Oh, they're going to laugh at you. They're going to, they're going to think you're unattractive. They're going to make fun of you. You're, you know, here's your, here's, your, I'm setting boundaries for myself. Right. Right. And I want to push those boundaries and expand my opportunity and ability. And I'm glad I I made the choices that I made at the same time, which is where I agree with you. What I'm trying to get to is this. I agree. I I don't think I could do that, but good on you that you were able to push out that boundary and that deuce. So (laughs) exactly. (laughs) That's great. Um, well, Paul, do you have any, just as we're wrapping up here, do you have any, like, uh, anything cool that you've done? Any, any recommendations, anything cool you've read, anything cool you've done or a place you've, oh. you've been that brought you some joy? I'm, oh, wow. I saw a slave play at the Mark Taper. Nice. Um, uh, see that play people. If you can see that play, go see that play. I think mm. it, it's, 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 it's very, in my humble opinion, it's right now. Mm. It's all the conversations. It's all the points of view. There's no, there's no, there's, I'm going to say no finger pointing. That's my interpretation. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's more of like, Hey, here's who we are and how complicated it is. Um, which I really appreciated. Um, I, what I do, you said book and something popped in my head. I'm reading something, but that's how good it is. I can't remember. That's how much oh, you I'm love reading, it. I know what it is. I'm reading, a. am reading, uh, I'm reading two things. I'm reading uh, B2.0, uh, which is uh, Beyond Entrepreneurship 2.0 by Jim Collins. I really enjoy that book. It's like super business nerdy. So nerdy. But does it break and, it down into terms you can like relate to and understand where you're like, I, oh, okay, I got this? It's, it's 
purely uh, joyous. Awesome. Only because I'm such a nerd. You know, you know how we just talked about biz, uh, golf? Yeah. Right? We're like breaking it down and really understanding the thing. Like that's how I feel about business. Yeah. And, and this guy talks about, he's talking about Apple and Google, but he's also talking about, you know, your local, um, you know, sanitation company. He's basically right. saying, here's how business works. Here's why it works. Here's what it works. Whether it's on a giant scale or a small scale, here's how it works. And the nice. other thing I'm reading that I can't recommend enough is Dr. Ibram Kendi wrote a book a couple of years ago called How to Be an Anti-Racist. Mm. And I, I have a hard time with social justice warriors. I find that they use shame and guilt too much. Sure. And those are powerful tools and fine. I don't operate well with shame. Shame really does a number on me. Uh, most people don't do well with shame. It's not right. the best tactic. Yeah. And so I don't do well with dialogue when it comes to that. Mm -hmm. So this book is a very inspiring uh, book because it doesn't talk about you're doing it wrong. Mm -hmm. It's asking you to think about everything in a very upfront way. Mm. And I really value that. And I feel like uh, Dr. Kendi has made a, has written a book that's easily accessible. And it, it's so funny because he talks about uh, just about how black culture and how it kind of changed at a certain time around 69 to 71, how it kind of changed and, and this kind of cultural revolution took place. And this, you know, black is beautiful, black is powerful, stand up for your culture kind of aspect. And we just watched the Harlem Cultural Festival mm. on on uh, on Disney Plus, and it's these like I think it was like five or six shows that were re recorded each weekend in Harlem in '69. Oh and wow! It is a joy to just sit there and be like, "This is amazing," and it's so good. And it's exactly the time Dr. Kendi is talking about. And I'm hearing, I'm like, he's talking about it in the book because um, uh, I'm listening to it. And, and then on this TV show, they're talking about what's going on culturally. And it's just like, ah, I feel so connected to this right now. I feel very, I, what an honor to be here and listen to this. What a connection it is. And I, it feels very really cool. good. That's it's, really cool. How it all ends up. really good. What's it called? The show on Disney Plus? It is. It's the Harlem Cultural, Harlem Cultural Festival. The, the, it was shot over. I'll find it for you. Yeah. Or if you want to look it up. Yeah. And it's pretty fantastic just to sit back and enjoy. It was recorded 50 years ago. However, it got put in the basement, you know, as with many great pieces of, of mm. culture of black culture, it was ignored or, or buried and it's been cleaned up and surfaced and it has a story. It doesn't have a direct story. Like as in here's the story. Instead, it has a story of like, here's what was taking place, why, and what the point of view was. And they interview people today about it. Damn. And I re we really enjoyed it. We we sat there and walked, we consumed the whole thing right away. We we're like, that was great. Now I want a like a cultural, uh, a Harlem cultural festival T-shirt. As if, like I think that'd be really cool retro, cool outfit to wear. But I don't know. That, I mean, maybe that's too. Um, um, what do you call it when co-opting of it? So I don't want to do that either. <laughs> So. It's hard to know. It's hard to take. Yeah. I, I feel stupid all the time. I feel yeah. like I'm constantly asking questions and I feel like it's better to ask those questions yeah. than to just be ignorant and, or make assumptions. It's like, I'd rather be stupid and say, is this okay? Yes. than make any assumptions. So yes. I understand that too. It's like, 
Yeah, I have White Fragility sitting in, on my bookshelf, that I, and I have yet to pick that up. Uh, yeah. Eh, eh, I, I, I read it. I, I appreciated it. Um, it took a beating within the first year of the pandemic because she she was kind of, she was, I don't know, for right or for wrong, I read that, or I was told by a friend through the grapevine, I guess, maybe that's not very trustworthy. They, yeah. She wasn't exactly very supportive of, I don't know. I'm not, I don't that's know. That's good I to hear. No, I like anyway. that feedback. That's good to hear. Because that's I would check, how I was wondering, what I was wondering about it, if it was like... Yeah, I highly recommend how to not how to be an anti-racist. Okay, because it's so simple and easy to listen. To. I, I'm listening to it because I, I I have like 12 credits in my Amazon thing. I, I must have nice. subscribed. Nice. To- <laughs> <laughs> I'm that guy. I read 12 books online. Love so, it. Yeah, so I really enjoyed that because again, it's less about pointing fingers and more about policy mm-hmm. and understanding, mm. and that to me feels really good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, most definitely. And that was, you know, it's clearer. It's much more clear that way for the question answering question. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, Paul, where can we find you? I know that, you know, you teach classes or you're on the Instagram. Where can we find you? Uh, you can find me on the Twitter and the Facebook and the, uh, Instagram. Excellent. Uh, I'm at at Paul Hungerford. No, it's at improvising Paul at improvising Paul on Instagram. Yeah, and Twitter, and then uh, you know that's the best two places to find me and my rantings or my silliness or my recommendations. I usually just do a lot of, uh, here's what I'm watching, here's what I like, here's a picture of me at a show. Yeah, it's a lot of that. And then can anyone t- come and take a class from you, or do you have to be a student at USC right now to take a class from you? Yeah, unfortunately, pandemic has made it so that I'm only teaching at USC. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, you know, if I do do. Matthew and I and uh, are trying to Arlo as well. We're trying to make more of an improv community kind of happen mm-hmm. outside of outside in theater. Meaning, like, so it's not about any one group because we feel that that's important that it's open and and easy. So we're 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 trying to find a space for us to invite people to. But for right now, it's unfortunately I'm only teaching at USC. But keep follow me on Twitter, follow me on on Instagram, and as soon as something happens, I will invite everyone to it. Awesome. That's such good news. Cause you're such a fantastic teacher. You need to spread your wealth around baby. <laughs> I'm going to spread it all over the stage. What do you see? At, at UCB? I'm gonna bring a tarp. Got to Don't forget your tarp. Bring a tarp to class. Um, our, well, dude, I love you so much, buddy. Thank you for coming on. Thank you for sharing your hour with me. And, uh, hopefully we can do this again sometime. Megan, thank you for the invite. I think the world of you, I think you're hilarious. Aww. I think you're brilliant. You're a damn badass female. Just a person. I don't know why I had to say female. You're a badass person. And uh, I just right back at you, friend. I can't wait to play some three-part with you and make some jokes all the way yes, across. Yes, please. I need it. I'm hungerford for it. Ah! That's our <laughs> show, ladies and gentlemen. We'll see you next time. <laughs> You've been listening to Morning with Megan, podcast produced by Arlo Sanders, artwork by Joy Mamie, and hosted by me, Megan Parks. Please join my Patreon at patreon.com slash morningwithmegan, where you can get access to brand new episodes early and even some video footage if you want to see what we look like while we're talking and not just what we look like while we're listening. You know what I mean. <laughs>